Well, good evening, New Life Church. Welcome to our Good Friday service at 8 o'clock tonight. We're so glad that you're here. To all of you joining us online, at home, wherever you are, we're grateful that you're able to do that as well. We miss you. We can't wait to see your face. And it is so good to see all of you face, all of your faces here in the room tonight. Good Friday and Easter are this sort of pinnacle moment of the journey that we've been taking for several months. The journey of marking time around the life of Christ began at Advent when we were anticipating the arrival of Jesus and at Christmas we celebrated his birth. But now here we've come to this climactic moment in the story and Good Friday and Easter, the death and resurrection, the cross and the empty tomb, these for us as followers of Jesus are the moments that center us that orient us. So would you take a moment with me and let's just bow our heads in prayer as we get ready to open the scriptures tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you have demonstrated for God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus, we thank you that you laid your life down for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're with us now. We pray tonight as we reflect on this moment in the story that you would give us eyes to see Jesus again. Give us ears to hear the very voice of God, the word of God. Give us minds to understand, hearts to believe and trust. Do this all for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. I um, don't read too much fiction. It's a confession that I'm making in front of you tonight. My wife, however, is the story lover. And fortunately for our four children whom she so diligently homeschools, she has introduced them to great stories. And so over the course of many years, we've read lots of great books in our home, lots of great stories, and I do enjoy reading these stories to our kids, but it occurred to me some years ago that the great novels and the great stories that we consider classics, so many of them are about an orphan. Have you ever stopped to think about that? On the British side of things, you've got great expectations about Pip and Oliver Twist and The Secret Garden. And then you've got sort of North American classics like Tom Sawyer, Anne of Green Gables. Even in pop culture, we've got stories that are about an individual that arrives in the world unsure or without his parents. Tarzan. Batman. Luke Skywalker. Ray. Elsa and Anna. There's Disney movies that are about a child that has lost one parent. Simba, Nemo. All the characters in Toy Story. What is it about these great stories that are always about a profound loneliness? As one philosopher called it, cosmic alienation. The sense that we are alone in the universe. Wondering if anybody's going to take care of us. Wondering if anybody's going to help us make it through. And maybe these are the very questions that haunt us as human beings hurling through space and time. Is anyone looking out for me? Is anyone taking care of me? 
here we are in 2021, after the year that we've had, so many of us have felt loneliness in a profound way. Maybe you've experienced that during your own, you know, our, our time of lockdown, or maybe when you had the quarantine, there's these moments when you feel like, what? I've become a prisoner in my own home, and you felt the ache of loneliness, a profound alienation, single parents trying to take care of their kids and work and do school. Yeah, right. Business owners trying to sustain a business, wondering if anybody else is losing sleep at night. Not only have we felt alone in our burdens, but we felt the rupture in our relationships. I mean, can we invent more things to fight about? You could name them. I won't even name them because it might, should come with a trigger warning. But you can all think of relationships that you've lost this year. As a pastor, I've talked to people who've said, it's crazy, I'm not speaking to my parents anymore, or I had a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law or a friend, and we used, to, we used to do all these things together, and now this came up. It was this issue or this issue or this issue, and we just can't agree anymore. I've seen what they post on Facebook, and I just can't anymore. And not only have we felt alienation and loneliness, but we felt the rupture in relationships. All things that make us painfully aware that the world is in a fractured and broken state. The scriptures help us make sense of this. The Bible opens with the story of God making the world on purpose and with pleasure and calling it good. But you don't get very far into the story before you discover there's an element that gets introduced into creation that has a destabilizing influence. Sin. Sin begins to rip apart things that God joined together. And so in Genesis 3, you have the human divine relationship being fractured. Then you have the male and female relationship. They're turning on one another in the garden. Genesis 4, you have Cain and Abel, brothers, murder results. A few chapters later, you've got the earth itself breaking open to the waters of the deep. And a flood comes, and you're thinking, is anything stable anymore? Genesis 11, you have the fracturing into societies after Babel. And Genesis 3 through 11 is story after story after story to show how sin tears apart that which God had joined together. God created a world that belonged together, and sin began to rip it apart. And the question in the scriptures it's the same question we're wrestling with tonight. What will God do when he finds his world coming apart? What will God do when he finds his world coming apart? The very next chapter in Genesis is Genesis 12. God calls a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through your family, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Notice that even in launching his salvation project, God uses family language. He's not looking to make a collage of individuals. He's trying to put people in communities of belonging again. And he says, through this family, all families will be blessed. But if you've ever tried to read the Old Testament, you'll realize it's like every middle novel in a tri trilogy like Lord of the Rings. Is the two towers even worth reading? 
If you read the Old Testament and it's name after name and story after story and it's as confusing as Sauron and Saruman and whoever else we're supposed to keep track of. And you get to the end of it and you discover that the people who are supposed to carry the cure have themselves become infected. The people who are supposed to bring blessing and wholeness to the world fracture apart. Israel itself splits into two different kingdoms. And all their institutions fracture with it. The monarchy, the priesthood, the prophets themselves. One of the last prophets we meet in the Old Testament is a guy who was such a good prophet. When God called him to go there, he ran the opposite way. <laughs> the whole thing is coming apart. But salvation is God's plan. Salvation is God putting his world back together again. And the project that God launched through Abraham is completed through Jesus. We are here tonight because God never gave up on his plan to put the world back together again. We are here tonight looking at a bloodied cross, remembering a crucified Savior, because we recognize that God never abandoned his promise to creation or his covenant with Abraham or his desire and his dream of putting the world back together again. And so Jesus comes as the seed of Abraham, the son of David, Israel's representative. Jesus comes, and on the cross, Jesus speaks. Each word requiring immense effort. On the cross, Jesus speaks the word through whom all things were made. The word who had become flesh speaks. And every word he speaks is putting the world back together again. Tonight we're going to end the service by listening to the seven last words of Jesus on the cross, but as our Reflection is our meditation tonight. I just want to point you to two of them. You see, out of the seven last words of Christ on the cross, five of them are addressed to a single individual, the father, the thief, someone who could get him a drink, he's thirsty. But two of the seven last sayings of Christ are actually addressed to two parties. Two of them are actually addressed to two parties. And I want you to see these, I want you to hear these words tonight, the first word. Luke 23, verses 33 to 34, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is the first word. In Genesis, the first word was let there be light. On the cross, the first word is let there be Forgiveness. Jesus is pulling together Father and your wayward children. Jesus reconciles us to God. Reconciles us to God. Now, friends, I want you to be clear about one thing. Jesus is not begging the Father to do something he does not want to do. Some of you grew up in a distorted version of the story that the father is this grumpy, grouchy, angry dad, and Jesus is like, hold on, I got this. Okay, are you all right? Like some sort of toxic family relationship. The Bible tells us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It is God that we behold on the cross, reaching out to humanity, saying, let them come back home to the Father. 
It's the Father who loved the world. It's the Son who loved us so much he laid down his life. Jesus is reconciling us to God. And on the cross, it's the voice of the second person of the Trinity that we hear praying, Father, forgive them. But on Easter Sunday morning, as one theologian has said, the first person answers, the first person of the Trinity answers and raises Jesus from the dead and says, yeah, forgiveness now for all. Jesus is reconciling us to God. The next, the third word is the other one of the seven sayings where there's two parties involved and it's John 19. And it says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, it's always curious, John is writing this gospel and he refers to himself not by name but as the disciple whom the Lord loved. It's his story, he can tell it. It says, Jesus said to her, woman, here is your son. It's the only other time, father, forgive them, and then the other word where he's working with two parties, he says, woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You may not know this, but the reason we have an apartment complex for single moms called Mary's Home is it's after Mary, the mother of Jesus, who herself in this moment of her son's death found herself with no one to look after her, no one to care for her. And you have John, maybe John was one of those disciples who had lost father and mother because of following Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus is placing his earthly mother and his beloved friend together in a new kind of relationship. See, Jesus is reconfiguring a new family. He's not just reconciling us to God, the vertical, but it's the horizontal. He's reconfiguring a new family. Woman, here is your son. Friend, here is your mother. Psychologists tell us that the most powerful relationship that we've had is the relationship with our mother. Psychologists tell us that our relationship with our mothers imprint us for intimacy, for better or for worse. That that nurturing connection with the mother is what teaches us, gives us an imprint for intimacy. I can't help but wonder if Jesus deliberately putting his mother and John together is imprinting the church for a new kind of family. Because what would happen after Easter Sunday morning is the followers of Jesus began to rethink family and they began to say, you know what? We're, we're gonna upset the whole hierarchy of society and it really doesn't matter who's this and who's that and who's got what role. In fact, in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female, but we're all gonna be brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a new family being born because of the cross. The blood of Jesus means that it's no longer our blood that defines family, but his blood that makes a new family. Come on, somebody. It is the blood of Jesus that forms a new family. And when you think of this, Jesus reconciling us to God, Jesus reconfiguring a new family, you could say Jesus on the cross is putting the world back together again. Jesus on the cross is putting the world back together again.
A heavenly father and his wayward children, a devastated mother and her lonely son, the vertical and the horizontal. That's why on the stage tonight, there stands this cross. What does God do when he finds a world that is coming apart? He dies. He dies. And this cross is the very visual, the vertical beam and the horizontal beam, that on this cross, the Son of God is putting us back together with God and putting us back together with one another. Salvation looks like God forgiving us and welcoming us home. Salvation looks like God putting the lonely in families. Salvation looks like God putting broken relationships back together again. Salvation looks like Jesus on the cross, putting the world back together again. And tonight, as we begin to prepare our hearts for the table of the Lord, I wonder where you find yourself tonight. Where do you find yourself? Maybe you're here, or you're watching, or you're scrolling Facebook, and you're seeing this stage with a cross, and you're like, oh, there these Christians go again. But really inside, there is a deep and profound ache. It's a guilt. It's a shame. Even secular sociologists tell us that shame is just the emotion, the feeling of a break in a relationship. Maybe you're here tonight feeling shame, but what you're feeling is the ache of separation from God. Tonight can be Good Friday for you when you recognize that Jesus is reconciling you to God. Maybe you feel the ache and the angst of relationships that are fractured, and you're like, God, I have no idea how to repair it. But it can begin tonight by coming to the cross and saying, Jesus the one who puts the world back together again, would you give me the ministry of reconciliation? Would you help me to live out this way of the cross? So as you bow your heads tonight, I wonder if you would hear the voice from the cross. Father, behold your children. Woman, behold your son. Church, behold your Savior. So Jesus, we ask you to come. Put the world back together again by putting us back together again. Put us back together with the Father. Put us back together with each other. Come and bring your salvation. The salvation that comes through the cross. The salvation that is you putting the world back together again. Can we stand to our feet tonight, church family? Take your communion elements in your hands. God was in Christ says Paul, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. As Pastor Glenn preached so beautifully, 
Jesus takes upon himself the sin of the world. And when we say that in Christianity, we just don't mean that in some legal sense. But the old English root of the word sin means to sunder. It means to separate. What sin does is it divides up a world that God intended to have together. And when I was a kid, we were fond of quoting, when we thought about the work of Jesus, we were fond of quoting the great text out of Isaiah 53, that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And we often thought about that and used that text to think about physical healing. Jesus has taken upon himself the sickness and the brokenness of the world and released healing. And I think that that is true. But as I have journeyed with Jesus, I think what I am more convinced of now than ever is that the wounds of all humanity fell upon him. And all of the fracturing and all of the brokenness and all of the woundedness. And you guys, we live right in the middle of it. We see it around us every day. Everything that's disintegrating, everything that makes our world fall apart. Here is the bold claim of Christianity that somehow all of that has been piled into the body of Jesus and it's been healed. And we are being carried along through time by the unbreakable power of the resurrected Lord Jesus. That is what we're coming to when we come to this moment. And so we take the bread and the cup in our hands and we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, the Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it. If you have the bread in your hands tonight, would you break it with me? All over the room, listen to it. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you and not just for you, it's broken for the whole world. And do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken for us. Let's take it together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Old Testament says that the life is in the blood. As Jesus' side is pierced, as Jesus' hands and feet are pierced, as his blood pours out, that is the life of God himself being poured out for the world. And when we come to the table of the Lord, we're taking that life into ourselves again. Brothers and sisters, this is the cup of salvation. Let's take it together tonight. And we say, thank you, God. Son of God, Savior of the world, crucified and raised to life again, we yield ourselves to you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you are making us to be in your kingdom. We yield our hearts to you again. And now friends, let's take the candle in our hands if you, are, if you have one in your hand here. What I love about this moment on Good Friday is that when we begin the journey to cross and resurrection, we really begin it back in Advent. We remember the incarnation, Christmas Eve. We remember that great text in John, John chapter 1, where John says that the true light 
that gives light to every person was coming into the world and the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Tonight, we are remembering that this moment, Good Friday, when the Son of God, his body was hung on the cross, that represents the full coming of the light of God into the world, that he plunges himself into our darkness. And so tonight, all over the room, your candles are being lit. Well, we're remembering this night is that we're remembering that the journey of the Son of God into our darkness, into our brokenness, into our pain, into our hurts, into our alienation, that it's completed here at the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, would you, all over this room, as you think about the darkness of your own life and the darkness that surrounds you and the darkness of your world, would you just begin to yield, yield that up to the Lord? And so we say, Lord Jesus, come and shine in the darkness of our lives. In every God-forsaken place, in every place where we feel abandoned and forgotten, everything that seems hopeless to us and beyond the pale, we are asking that the light that shines in the darkness, that the darkness cannot overcome, that you would come in your fullness and your power tonight. And we're asking for that. We grant that, we pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. We're going to worship for a second here. Then we're going to have a moment where we remember the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. So hold your candle in your hand through these next moments, and then I'm going to come and lead us into the final moments of the service. Oh, the rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. My soul cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto Thee. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where You love poured out over me. So cries out, Alleluia, praise and honor unto Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
I am thirsty. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Brothers and sisters, God showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You may extinguish your candles. You are dismissed from this place, but not from God's presence. Go in peace.